millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The self-doubt and conviction inform your music in different ways. Yeah, I think... Self-doubt incites fear, and I think when you let fear in, it can be an absolute creative murderer. And I have a real tug of war with that, generally. I think especially in lockdown, I've really felt that. Um, Really struggled with being creative in this time, trying not to be like hard on myself about it and just be real. I guess on the other side of things, like when you're feeling good, the music comes good and just trying to ride the wave of whatever comes to you. You know what I mean? It's a real game of like juggling. It feels like you never, never plan stuff and it happens. You just have to ride it, ride stuff out, you know? Do, do you need to create every day to be happy then? Like what you're saying that you've not been able to make as much in lockdown because of this fear. I think I'm like pretty grumpy if I don't create on some level. Um, I do stuff like, drawing cartoons or um creative jobs or like shooting shit you know like I do like loads of creative stuff I, I love being creative and I think if I if I sort of feel like I'm getting a block in one space I try and go and do something else um but I, it does it does it is weird because you, you value yourself on on your creative output and your creativity is never like just the, the having the ability, the, the actual creativity is the output, the, the measurable output that people value you for. And I find that really hard. Like, I find that really hard to just not be down on myself if I'm not outputting at this, at this rate that I expect myself to. And it's something that I can't control. So it's, it's definitely like a learning curve to adjust to it. I mean, some people I'm sure can be happy in their lives and and not be creative but for me it's this isn't just like a choice this is who I am this is how I function this is how I cope with my life this is how how I process the world around me that's interesting if you're still if you're less able to create in lockdown 
then how are you kind of processing that experience? Do you have to process it in a different way? I'm doing this like um, project at the moment, which is called The Artist's Way, which is like a workbook kind of thing. You have to do exercises every week and you have to do like creative creative projects. You have to do, it's like creative writing and you have to do um, different little tasks and you have to do like make yourself like little games. And I'm doing a lot of that at the moment. And it's working sort of like alongside a kind of therapy experience as well, which is getting me through, I guess. Does it feel like a different kind of therapy to songwriting? Yeah, because songwriting is a certain muscle in your brain that is like connected between two different lobes, apparently. And you can you have to like squeeze it. It's a really weird feeling. Whereas just being creative in general just feels like you can be creative in the way you do the washing up you know you can be creative in the way you tidy your room you can be creative in the way you do your food shop but to create a song you're literally like searching for a methodical rhymes or methodical melodies or patterns or structures as well as looking for like out-of-box experimental angles so there's a lot of like high high sort of problem solving involved in it which that's the bit that ties me out the most what you were saying there as well about how you know you can be creative in anything you can be creative in doing the washing up do you find yourself kind of slipping into your creative mindset during those daily tasks do you kind of turn them into those things i'm really shit at like cleaning generally but i'm definitely getting more into cleaning during lockdown because i think it's giving me like the processing that i need to do they say that doing like repetitive tasks are really good for um giving your creative space brain space to explore subconsciously um, colouring in is really good for me for that and um, I've got a sticker book while I'm just starting as well so that that's kind of helping I wish I was better with this sort of day-to-day stuff <laughs> not great watching up I'm honest I always get critiqued on it by everyone <laughs> what we've kind of been speaking about there with the way that your creativity manifests itself in so many different ways or in a multitude of different ways do you see that in the songwriting process itself too like, do you feel that your creativity or your voice kind of comes out in a different way depending on the narrative of the song or what you're speaking about in it? Well, the tone of my voice just like is always markedly me. Even if I kind of try and sing different or whatever, like I can't not sound like me, which is, I guess, a really good thing. But sometimes, especially this record, I think I'm telling it from the switch perspectives or I go more into seeing a mood or I play a narrator in the role or rather than before where I was just literally telling my exact like biographical things that have happened you know when what you're saying there about the narrator would that be something like Gabrielle Gabrielle's actually true like it's a real story but I changed the name of Gabrielle because I learned the hard way about the song Kareem that went badly wrong um, and so I decided to give her a new name but I wanted to tell it from the perspective of the other woman in a sort of like Dolly Parton Jolene kind of way but it's true that song is like I told that from a truthful perspective of being the other woman is that you were writing about yourself but from someone else's perspective then so are you Gabrielle in that song no no okay so the whole but there's a perspective shift in that though. Like you start off the song writing about someone else and then you shift into the first person. Are you, is that the same perspective the whole way through? But you or are you shifting perspectives in the midst of that song? Uh I, I sort of say it as me, but I put Gabrielle on a pedestal 
basically because like I'm the other woman and I'm I'm sort of with her boyfriend. So I'm like the secrets in the mirror behind the lips that kiss her, aka that like he's got the secret in the mirror that he is kissing me. The secrets in the mirror behind the lips that kiss her. Kiss her. Um, I want to let the voices out. So I want to tell the truth. I want to be honest that I'm the other woman in the story. You kind of approach it in a different way. You know that role that you're playing in that song would traditionally be villainous, but you're humanizing it by making it about yourself. I like to play the villain rather than the victim. I think that's generally how. I think I I just like used to like it in all Marvel comics when like every villain in it would have the most troubled story, and I think no no one like good people do bad shit and bad people do good things. Like I don't think that there's ever such a monosyllabic black and white version of events. I think there's intricacies that are to be explored, and like that's kind of my point. It's like uh, women, especially, are portrayed as like the damsel or the heartthrob and I'm like I'm all of those things and I'm a villain and I'm actually like really vulnerable and all of those things can exist in a person at the same time and like that's the kind of arc that I try and do but I don't I don't know if I do that I just feel like so pigeonholed all the time I feel like people were like you're not really punk enough to be like a punk singer and you're not really like schmoozy enough to be like a heartthrob you know it always felt like I wasn't one or the other enough for everyone. Dudes in fucking bands, like, there's another four white dudes in a band playing guitars. Like, no one was like, oh, um, are you, are you, are you, a, are you a villain? Or are, are you a damsel? Like, that doesn't happen with men. Like, yeah. this isn't a character profile that exists. So it's about fucking that off. How do you overcome that? Like, how do you get people to see you in a different way? I just like, write like that and just hope that people have, like, the initiative. I mean, people make assumptions about me all the time. Like, people always think that I'm like on drugs. Like, that's like people's favorite thing to tell each other about me. Like, my own team are like at my show sometimes, and they're like, "She's on drugs," and I'm people. They they can hear people saying, "Sorry, that she's on drugs," and they just find it funny because they know that I'm just like, I like having baths and drinking tea, like <laughs> watching like kids films. It, it's not. It's nowhere near the the reality. People just put their own fantasy version of you together and. Women have that a lot, and I suppose pe- marginalised people even more so. Do you think part of that comes from what you're kind of playing aesthetically with the band, the whole kind of cinematic thing, and when you start that rock and roll romance type thing, do the connotations of drugs just come from that naturally for people? No, and I think it's different from, like, there's one thing of being, like, a rock and roll icon, connotations of drugs, to having, like, people always asking me what drugs I'm on, like, all the time, and just feeling really pigeonholed because of it it's like i've i'm a strong woman with a big personality that's like direct and that's intimidating for people so they'd rather process it and be like oh you're on drugs than be like oh it's always more scary to be like actually i'm not on drugs and i'm like this all the time and like that's that's more scary i think it's like sorry what do you like what do you want me to be like chill <laughs> it's almost like a way to undermine you. Almost, it feels like that. But as a woman, you're always getting told, like, you know, you, your band would be great if you played this guitar, or like, do you know what you're missing? Is you're missing some masculinity. You should be more like a man on stage, or like, I don't fucking know. You get you get all kinds of unsolicited advice and like pigeonholing and like. But so I guess like the artistic reaction to that is just to be like, 
here's me, here's the whole thing, and here's like here's it in an intellectual way, and people probably won't accept that. Like people will probably find it. Do people like egotistical rock music that's from a female perspective? Probably not. Like they probably actually want to see like white guys like swinging their dicks around on stage. Like it probably doesn't. They don't really don't know how to deal with the information that a, a woman can do that. Which is why it should be done because it makes people feel uncomfortable. Is that what I do it to myself? Was kind of written about for you? What you're saying there about the kind of contradiction and people misinterpreting you? No, I did it to myself was like completely um, self unveiling, which was like also felt like a move after doing like a sort of egotistical song, like I like the way you die. And doing like a do it to myself was was me being like just pointing out my own flaws and being like, I know I self-sabotage and I'm destructive and like I'm my own worst enemy and I, I live with demons and that's my reality, you know? And I think that's the song that I look back on now and I think, fuck, like that's a person that, that probably needed help, you know? And I was in complete denial about it. And now I guess with the reflection of lockdown, you have time to process like who you were then and who you are now or whatever. And I, I feel I feel like there's an incredibly vulnerable side of myself that I explore in that song. Did lockdown further that for you? Did it further that kind of process of self-reflection in any way? Yeah, lockdown is like meeting myself for the first time. Like everything in our lives have been performative experiences until now. It like blows my mind. Like even when you put makeup on to leave the house, that is literally for the people that are watching you from the outside. But it's so that other people, when they see you, have a perception of you that you've created. That's performative. And as a performer, the whole ecosystem that is around me is like a performative experience. And so to have that like removed was suddenly like, well, who the fuck am I? I don't even know who's Izzy that doesn't leave the house and can that Izzy create? And who am I at the bottom of that? Like knowing yourself artistically is not the same as knowing yourself intimately and getting stuck in with those slightly uncomfortable truths about yourself or your widely held beliefs about your own esteem or your own value. And that was fucking weird. Like, I just could not... Like, now I'm a bit better. Like, I can kind of see, like, the different sides of me. Like, my therapist says, you know, there's, like, a village of people that live within all of us. And this is someone that I barely fucking know. I'm just like, oh, hey, yo, like, nice to meet you. Wow. <laughs> and the girl that wrote that song, I'm like, that was like somebody else. Something really sad about it. Did you notice parallels? What you're saying there when you kind of meet who you are for your, the first time when you're not on stage and not performing, were there parallels between that person and who you were before you were in this band? Before you started performing in that way? Yeah, I think, I don't think I was, I don't think I was made like this from being in a band. I think I, got in a band because in some way you like you basically try and become like the superhero version of yourself so that it's like easier to deal with who you are so like self-created kind of fantasies that you live out it's very drag you know if you can be a superhero you then you don't have to deal with the real you who's like maybe you're not as not as comfortable in the skin of what you were saying there about the village of people that kind of live within us going forward is the manner in which you're going to approach it where you kind of cop compartmentalize it a little bit more where the you that's on stage becomes a different thing not even the you that's on stage but the you that's on tour and interacting with fans does that become a different thing to who you are when you're just yourself um yeah i think i'll find it more tiring maybe 
uh, I think I'm not sure who I'll be then, or maybe I'll be closer to my truth or whatever. And I've had this time to reflect. I think I'll be maybe more in touch with my own vulnerability and fragility, which hopefully would give me better access to those parts that I want to to, to draw upon in a performative way. Um, but I'll be tired. I think I'll, I will be very tired by all of the touring and stuff now. I'm used to, like, chilling. This is the most nothing I've ever done. This is the most nothing I've ever done. What a sentence. <laughs> it can be good to do nothing for a while. Yeah, I think I definitely needed it, and I was definitely headed towards, like, a mass burnout, and I already have already had Touchwood problems with like my uh, immunity and stuff before and there's definitely something that we've learned is like your health is so important health is a bigger problem than anyone's creative projects <laughs> this slight the kind of understanding you've been coming to recently was this album a product of a slight conflict that came before that maybe yeah i don't know if i felt like a conflict that was like there wasn't like a conflict comes to you but it was like how do you make sense of what you're facing around you when you're just like, at first you get into music and you're like, I just want to be a boy. And then you're like, ah, people think that it's cool that I'm a girl. Why is that? And then being like, feminism exists. What does that mean? And then being like, well, that actually is a thing. And like, that's quite special, I guess. And then, but then also being like, oh, but I'm only allowed to be, this type of thing or this type of thing and then trying to process that and just trying to put it all together in a sort of mishmash collage way in the same way that my reference points feel like collaging is kind of just like my reflection of my entire experience and maybe that's why I'm like feeling uncreative in lockdown because I've put so much stuff into the mix it's got so many bloody ingredients, this cake, you know, it doesn't need this many ingredients, but this is just how chaotic the everyday is. It's just this sensory bombardment of this insanity that we're living through. And just trying to process all of that, I think makes it into this super diverse, chaotic, specific thing that is like one person's view. And I love music when people simplify stuff. Like, do not get me wrong. I am a huge fan of music that just makes, that like kind of answers the problem. You know, the ones that like, you know, it feels like Bob Dylan does that. He's like, he's really good at exploring something, but he's, it feels like he's giving you the answers, really. I, I just don't know if I did that. And I don't know if I can, I don't know if that's, that's me. I think it's just a big collage of a lot of things and a lifetime of a unique perspective that went into it. I think as well, though, a lot of the energy of your music seems to come from a sense of slight chaos, which that probably leans into quite a lot. Yeah, I think you've nailed that. I think you've got it better than me. Like, <laughs> it's outside as well, it's easier to like see it for what it is, right? Whereas when, it's, when you're living it, you're like, it's really hard to explain how truthful so much of it is, but how important some of it feels. And being like, I'm not, I'm not sure how Beaches and Disinfect works on the same record, but for some reason it does. And it's also a heavy rock record with brass. And that's just like what we made. And like, you know, and maybe from your end, you're like, oh, the chaos is real. And that's a reflection. And that's easier for you to see than, than maybe it is for me. I think there's just a sense of fun comes from it as well, though. 
like something that ties all the songs together. Yeah, I think it was fun. It's going to be fun to play live and it's fun to make. That's for sure. To come back to what you were saying there about all these kind of individual ingredients going into it, at what point do you stop seeing the album as all of these individual ingredients and start seeing it as the cake and the full thing? Um, I basically had this day where we didn't ever have a finishing party because we because COVID, and so in like the you know the mid kind of unlocked down bit, like maybe it was like August. Yeah. Uh, I went to cocktails with my friend Craig, and I was wasted at London Bridge uh, Station, and I just sat on a on a bench and put the album on back to back, and I just cried was not expecting to have that much of an emotional response to it. But I was just like, I couldn't believe that I've made that. I don't know, just maybe I have just like such low self-esteem that every time I make something, I'm like, I actually don't believe that I've made it. Like, I can't even imagine that I've done all the stuff that I've done because I have such a distorted sense of like not good enough, you know? Do you get that feeling from anything else in life? That kind of disbelief that you've been able to make this thing? So much stuff, man. Like... I'm like unsure if I could function in, in in society. Like I can't get trains. I get lost like in London on the tube still like every week. <laughs> <laughs> I like miss the bus stop. Like I, I feel like a complete, I, re- I really struggle to leave the house. I struggle with like the process of like having the, the, the keys, the, the bag, the stuff for the week, spare tampons for the day, the contact lenses for tomorrow, you know, those kind of like logistical tasks in my day, I find like unbearably difficult. Like the drama that my morning mostly includes is just out. And, and then I've just decided to get a dog in the middle of that. <laughs> so it's just like a whole nother level. <laughs> but I'm working on those things. And also I accept that like, you know, my brain is wired differently. Like I am someone with learning difficulties and it's hard. some things in my life I, I'm, I struggle with. and that's also okay like that i'm i'm okay with that but I, yeah definitely yeah, so there's a lot there's a lot of things that i find very difficult has the dog helped with it at all that kind of sense of responsibility that it brings oh my god like my confidence from just like having a puppy that just trusts me it's the it's trust definitely that i was not expecting like she she literally lets me like carry her up and down stairs she, if I tell her to not go on the road, she knows, like, to trust me. Well, not quite. She's not that road smart yet, but you know what I mean? She knows to trust me. That feels incredible. And the routine of taking her out every day helps um, stabilize me in the day. So then I'm like, cool, like, I, I feel a bit more structured and I feel a bit more safe and I feel more stable. And so then it's like, that's gradually sort of feels like it's really healing. When was the last time you had something like that in your life? that kind of gave you th- something to center yourself around in that way? Definitely touring. I really like the fact that somebody like picks you up and then drives you around and then you just like get delivered to like these interviews and just get sent on stage and just get timed in a sa- and set and sound check is the same time every day and your load in is the same time and you know what part of the day you're on and it's like a set structure and I really feel safe in the framework of touring. So sometimes when you come back off of tour, you feel really destabilized because you've lost this like routine that this literal person's full-time job is to, to provide for you. Yeah, it's almost like for your chaos and creativity to flourish, it needs that structure to kind of be unleashed within. 100%. 
And there's just like no structure in lockdown, is there? So it's really hard. And self-structuring is just like the hardest. Where does the structure come from when you're making a record? What's the kind of framework there for you? Uh, sessions. Uh, I like booking sessions. I like knowing what day of the week I'm going to, in to do a session. And I like it to sort of have like a a loose flow in the day. And I really like um, I, I really like it when the, once the songs are written, you're like, it's easy. It's like happy sailing from there. Um, it's like when you've done soundcheck, you're happy sailing. You just, you know, got to go do the gig now. Songwriting is the hardest bit. And it is st- like, I am still in shock and shock and awe uh, over how difficult writing songs is. Like, I've done it for a while now and I'm still like, this is hard. Like, there's, there's very few things that I compare being as hard as writing songs, but I think that's why I have to do it and why I love it so much because it's such a huge challenge. And it's something that you learn so much from doing every time you do it. It's not. It's nice to feel like you're learning. I remember. I remember doing like these jobs back in the day where I'd be. I just feel like I was stagnating and not growing in any way. And songwriting is that thing that if you do it every day, you just grow naturally at it. You know, as a person or as an artist. Probably as an artist, I think that's probably where my personal growth has been like really negligent, and like that's where I've had to really pick up the slack in lockdown and try and work on myself. <laughs> when you're in lockdown on your own. Does that make you notice how the people you surround yourself with affect your perception of yourself? Um, yeah, I think I wasted a lot of time on fucking idiots. Just so many pointless people. And like loads of those people have petered off and I'm so glad about it. And so many great people have come in and I'm here for the conversation and I'm here for like the artistic perspective. And like luckily for me, I've got this like, incredible support network of people that I so deeply like feel connected to on a, on, on a kind of like an artistic level. Do you notice that impacting your creativity directly? No, you don't. But I think when you surround yourself with really boring people, which I have a few periods in my life done, I feel like it is more work to put yourself in a creative framework and like try and make that shift. Yeah. Because it's depressing. You want to surround yourself with people who inspire you. Yeah, sometimes I enjoy boring people, though. You'd be surprised. If they're nice people. Yeah, they're nice but boring, but just not creative. You just want to surround yourself with, like, magical unicorns all the time. So you're, like, you just want to feel mad. You make you feel like you're living that performative, magical life. And that's exciting. What was the first song you brought to the rest of the band for this album? Fuck, man. I don't know. Honest answer is I don't know. Beaches? I remember playing Beaches. to. I remember going to London Fashion Week dressed as Ronald McDonald. And I remember playing my first version of Beaches to my friend Craig. So that was like before album one dropped. Maybe just after. When did the horns come into that song then? Because they're really what kind of punctuate that tracking, give it that drive to a certain extent. Yeah, we sampled them from from day dot they rebuilt them around the horns but they changed a lot uh we rewrote the parts and then so the spine stays consistent the whole way through but everything like the horns and stuff around it kind of changed the decoration shifts as you develop the song yeah different songs for different things so beaches was like the thing that was actually wrong about beaches was that it was like almost too pop like the version that we did was almost like i don't know it could have been like a taylor swift song almost maybe not that pop but you know what i mean it just felt like it didn't make sense alongside something that was heavier 
And so then it was like turning it into a live sound and getting like band to play it live in the room rather than it just be like samples of brass sections that we'd like found on YouTube, you know. It's interesting that it sounded like a pop song originally. It probably is the brightest song on the record. Yeah, definitely. How did your perception of it change when you placed it in the context where I like the way you die and run for cover come before it, which are kind of two of the harshest songs in the album? Yeah, so it was those guys were the songs that we were like, cool, we knew we we need to make a heavy record now. And then we just picked the kind of three out of the Motown side of things that we liked. Then we wrote like a tying up song. Maybe it was Summer 92 that just felt like it had like the 60s elements in and it had like a little bit of that, but then it was also heavy as well. And there were just like a few that we needed to like thread together. Challenging to get Beaches and Disinfect on the same record. And I'm pleased we just about pulled it through. I know my voice is quite like a tying in thing for it. But also Beaches was that song where everyone was just like, this sounds like it's been written for years, so we have to do it. And I think everyone felt really unanimous with that one from the start. Is the thing that ties Beaches and Disinfecting together your voice? It's kind of the melodies as well. Like If you think about Disinfecting, you have that kind of sinister premonition, but it's packaged in a really sweet melody. Yeah, and di- and Disinfect has brass on it. It has like a drone, brass drone thing that we put. And orchestral, like, percussion. And dis- it doesn't necessarily tie so directly with Beaches, but say it will, like, tie with, like, Do It To Myself, which will then tie into Beaches in another way, you know? It's just, like, little threads. I've never been somebody that, like, really wants something to sound, like, so tight anyway. Like, I've always been kind of, like, a bit manic with um, my ups and downs. So there's always going to be really quite aggressive switches of of stylistic things that I'm making. And I really don't want to be one of those people that has to limit that. That would be so boring. And, like, I made that. I made what is on that record. So I have to live with who that person is and live with someone that is making disinfect and is making beaches and accept that that a person can be uh, somebody that does feel both of those things. How do you balance that in the studio? Like if the person that made beaches couldn't make disinfect, how do you kind of navigate that when you have to put these songs down in a tight amount of time? Um... Just because if you're in the beaches frame of mind, how do you record disinfectant and how do you get it spot on and channel that, the conviction at the heart of it? Yeah, it's weird. I feel all of them. And I'd be in certain moods, to be honest with you. Beaches was just such a weird one because we actually used the demo vocal of that. And I like, no matter how hard I tried, I could not sing it as good as I did on the demo. It was like, I mean, I'm very like that anyway. Like I'm the sort of person that like, if I find my like, my 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 zone or whatever i find it really hard to recreate and we ended up using a bunch of demo vocals across the record and and i i love working like that i thought it was really fun to just sort of feel like ooh anything can happen you know and you're writing like this could end up on the thing like this is cool the drums also making drums live and having a drum a, a, a same approach to the drum sound throughout was quite important we used two drum kits and we like played them the same parts but overlaid them uh, in the same room, different ends. Hey, do you do that? You do that with the vocals as well, don't you? They're overlaid at a few points too. Oh, there's like so many layered vocals. We did one <laughs> where it was like this. So it's like this contact mic that, that you know they usually put them inside of acoustic guitars. They're like little plasters. You've probably seen them. Yeah. And they, they like read frequencies, right? So we taped one to my throat, 
And then I had like a like a shitty like SM58 and then this like kind of vintage, slightly more crunchy one. They were taped together. So I've got duct tape around my phone. I've got two mics together. I'm stood up, no pop shield, no vocal booth, and I'm just walking around the studio singing. And some of that was how we did it. Fuck me, that sounds fun, right? Now, now just imagine being like in some horrible 90s studio where it's clinical and looks like an Ikea set and they're like, get into the silent vocal booth, which has been sound treated. Ugh, like gross. That's so gross. Yeah. I want it to feel cool, you know? And the, the, the thing is about the contact mic was so cool because you know how your voice sounds in your head is like different from how it sounds in, in real life. The contact mic, because it catches all your throat frequencies, um, it it sounds like your voice sounds inside your head. And we were just like, wow, that is an idea is so sick because it puts you into that perspective of feeling like what it's like to be inside my head. Did you play with that in the record in any way in terms of the different parts of the songs being coming from within your head and the different parts being things that you would traditionally speak or you might say out loud and some that would just stay in your mind? Yeah, there's a lot like, in, I actually say a line that's like, in my head, my only friends, talking to myself again, in my head, my only friends. Or I talk about voices in my head or I have like, uh, I have this, um, this like feminist, like weird rhyme thing that I do in the middle of fire where that's like a ramble, like a lunatic kind of scrawl. So I like to have that feeling that, that like that you're like a not like the feeling like you're going a little bit crazy and like there's this like nonsense falling out of you. I feel like that a lot. The certain type of energy comes from that. Yeah, like crazy, crazy bitch energy. <laughs> How does that energy compare to the energy of strapping a mic to your throat and running around the studio? It's similar because the best bits. The thing is, after every take, we always do this thing where. I like get them to put loads of or whoever's whoever I'm recording with to get loads of reverb on my on my head on my cans and I know uh, I just make weird noises and like that's always like the most liberating part of making music for me is like seeing how weird I can be and letting out this kind of like absolute childlike maniac and I don't know any women that are like Childlike maniac is how you would describe like their free state of play. So and then and then it's cool because then you're like, well, I, I and then you feel like kind of badass. You're like, I'm fucking Sylvia Plath, fucking making banshee scrawl noises, and all of those sounds get added. You know, like I love screaming like a banshee. It's fun. <laughs> I like to I, I like to jar people. It's part of your personality that you couldn't get any other way. Yeah, like the bit that you're just denied in public. It's like the closing your legs and acting ladylike. Is that manic? What did you? What was the phrase you used? Childlike manic personality. Mm, I think so. Something like that. If that's the personality at the heart of this album, can the interesting thing sometimes end to be to take in quite a traditional structure? Like if you look at something like Summer Ninety Two, you've kind of got the groovy thing, the four on the floor going. Mm. But Summer Ninety Two's got a weird structure as well. In terms of the overall structure of the song. Yeah, that, and then like there's like the oonanas and the guitar. Dun, 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 dun. The guitar has a push, but the oonanas don't. There's like just weird shit that happens in that song that's like a bit unexplainable. But I like that for it. There was a long debate about all of that in the making of it, which I'm so pleased that we decided to do. What was the opposing argument? To straighten up the guitar line. So like how it's dun, 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 dun. Like that's pushed, and then the ooh na na's like ooh na 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 na, 
and that's more like how an audience or a fan could sing along. But you can't imagine a, a fan to go, ooh, na, 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 na. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's not the same. Yeah. And then we strained the guitar, and the guitar sounded, like, horrible and white and bad and boring. And there were so many approaches like that that we took, like, absolutely fucking the sound up, like, processing it through, like, a, a, a moog, um, not like a moog, but a, it was like a, a synth modulator. Uh, and putting a guitar through that, putting my voice through a synth modulator, distorting it through that, and then a vintage preamp, just these absolutely ridiculous rule-breaking methods. We recorded uh, Gabrielle on an iPhone. It's like, fucking hell, this is great. This is, this is how you make art, right? I hate, I hate the idea that it's like, to make an album, you have to be professional and do it in the professional studio and do it in the professional way. And like, nothing about that feels exciting to me. There's a lot about music that I find incredibly boring or like the process of making stuff incredibly boring and accessing the play state is like how we found the sweet spot. Just enjoyed it more. I don't know. Maybe that comes through. You say you hear like a fun thing, which is cool. You know, when you're recording Gabrielle on the iPhone, so that's in the studio, right? Yeah. In the studio, but I was like, we were really late. Um, we were like behind on deadline, like quite badly behind by this point. I think it was the last song. We had a song mix going on in one room and then we got Dave McCracken, who's like worked on Beyonce, just came down to help us. And um, he, we basically sat up on iPhone and like two mics uh, either side of the room and then we sat between the iPhone and then two mics and we recorded it live in one take in that room whilst in the other room, Dimmy, the actual producer, was mixing and finishing the other songs so that we could like meet the deadline in time. So we would just like run between the two rooms last minute and it absolutely worked like that that was the only bit where it kind of got stressful i guess is when we had like a week to finish like everything how did that headspace compare to the demo mindset because what you were saying earlier about keeping demo vocals on when you bring up the idea of an iphone it almost kind of has similar connotations yeah i think the whole thing felt like that and it felt and that's how that i i guess i learned about myself and about my play state, like I like bought a kid's pink keyboard the other day to write on, like the cheapest, most horrendous thing. For me, that that felt more creative and more experimental because it was like the one you would buy if you were six. Whereas people that are like, "Oh, my new toy! I've got this like swanky fucking keyboard that does like fifty sound settings." I'm like, "Uh, gross! Like, ew! Like, fuck no! I don't want to. That's not fun." That just sounds like, you know, like, that just sounds like being undermined by men. Got to tap back into that childhood mania. Childlike yeah. mania, rather. Yeah, definitely. And that's what, that's what my Artist Way book's um, teaching me. Does that alleviate pressure when you do something like that? Yeah, I think pressure's a big, big part to play in it. I think because when you have this big, serious piece of gear, you just feel like you have to make this big serious thing and because you have to make this big serious thing suddenly it becomes this big unfun thing and if it's a big unfun thing then it's probably going to be shit you know Mike Moeblad has this like kind of toy keyboard I and mean, he it says it's a toy keyboard it's actually really nice little but it's tiny and it's playful and it does like little vintage organ sounds and we wrote so much on that um and on pianos and just not computers basically 
and not techie things. And like, you know, I had the story once that Alex Turner writes everything on like reel to reel and tape, and he carries around a, a tape recorder in a suitcase. And this is probably all just like fantasy, isn't it? But and he said that it was because he just wanted to get rid of screens. And I, I, I relate to that. Like, I identify with that. Like, I feel like as much as screens open opportunities for me, they also fill me with like this sort of dread and anxiety. Even things that felt fun, like drawing pictures on paint as a kid. Now, all of them just it all just feels way too serious and severe. What do you think is fueling that transition for you, and kind of feeling towards screens? I just I'm just trying to get other people to do the screen work for me at the moment. Like, I stupidly signed myself up to do an edit for a visual um, thing recently, and I really regret that. And I did a few editing things, and I just thought, do you know what's this isn't how I want to work? I don't, I don't like doing it. I'm not technical, so I prefer to just be, like, directing. My dream is to be Rick Rubin and just sit in the back of a room and be like, this is the vibe. <laughs> that guy has a state of inner serenity that is very difficult to achieve, I think. Mm. Just got a lot of cash. <laughs> that probably helps, maybe. We've been uh, we've been speaking a lot about how this record has kind of impacted your understanding of yourself and what you've been exploring about yourself through it and the music. What's something that you long believed to be true about yourself, and as a result of making this album, you realised wasn't that I'm unfixable. That I'm unfixable. And they're kind of learning now that like nothing is unfixable or like everything can be worked around or like, and I've also, I, I also believe like I've learned a lot about self pacing and if I'm not like sitting down to write music right now, that is because my brain is literally not ready to do it and that's okay. I have to learn, I'm learning that that's okay. Because usually my insecurities are like, oh my god, the world is gonna forget about Black Honey, like the like, the, and then the world will end because like we'll be forgotten. Whereas like now I have this like a new established core value of it's fine. The world can wait. Do what's right for me. So I guess it's like a huge, huge, huge lesson to learn. But also, oh my god, I'm so lucky that I got to have this thing awakening that's a really positive note to wrap us up on but before we go a lot has been spoken about the kind of cinematic influences on this record but you also have a history with tv what's the x-factor story oh my god well done for finding that i think you're the first person to ever ever ask me about that well done (laughs) um that is my only tv story unfortunately I was on a session agency. Uh, it's pretty boring, to be honest with you. Got to play Busted, Mime Busted, may I add, on The X Factor. And I was like 15, 16. That's a pretty good experience at that age. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was awesome. I mean, I was terrified then. And I, all my friends were like, it was kind of peak X Factor, if you will. So all my friends were like, oh, like, are you famous now? And I was just like, what? No, like. Ridiculous! It, it was it was that it was definitely being thrown in the deep end. That's for sure. I mean, like I wouldn't wish that on my nerves now. I I think it was still quite. I think I'd rather play Glastonbury nerve wise now again than do that again. How many people are you in front of at the X Factor? Uh, that show was aired to nine million people. Ooh, 
That's <laughs> by the way, can we disclaim that? I was a session guitarist in the backing band on X Factor. I was not a, a competing singer. But we still saw you on TV. You definitely saw me on TV when I was a kid, yeah. Have you got it taped? Have you got it somewhere? Uh, no, most of my band like to get it up on YouTube when they like to sort of uh, wind me up about stuff. It's one of those kind of... <laughs> like, loads of people could have done way worse TV. I mean, I got like... Um, what's it called? Shortlisted for Skins as well. For season two of Skins, I think. Season two or the second thing of Skins. Uh, it's for a character called Naomi I was shortlisted for. Do you know who played her in the end? Uh, absolutely not, no. I, didn't, I haven't even seen it. No, I've never seen it. <laughs> but yeah, that was lovely. Uh, thank you for uh, giving me so much time and letting us kind of dive into the wreck about that. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, no worries. Thanks so much. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 